All right, well, welcome to another episode of uh, Comic Book Squares. Um, yeah, you know, here we are at Van Fusion 2023. We're excited to have another interview. Um, we'll kick the show off. My name's Shane. I'm Paul. I'm Ben. And I'm Mike. Let's get this show started. Welcome back, everybody, to the newest episode of Comic Book Squares. We're glad to have you. We are live from the Phoenix Fan Fusion 2023 in lovely Phoenix, Arizona, where it's only about 101 degrees. <laughs> so we've uh, been speaking with a bunch of uh, talented creators today, and obviously we've got another one right here on the panel today that we're going to welcome. Uh, we've got George's Janty. George's has worked for Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, um, so welcome, George. Tell us, you know, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're working on. Thank you. Yeah, no, I've uh, been working about steadily for about 25 years, more or less hit all the major and minor companies in that time. Um, and right now I'm doing the Mandalorian for uh, Marvel D Disney. Um, yeah, just, you know, I've, I've been very fortunate that I've been consistent enough to just go from one project to another. Right, false. Do you like the continuity stuff more than maybe some of the more independent stuff that you've had a chance to work on? Continuity in terms but, of... Uh, you know, you're working on The Mandalorian. That's a monthly thing, you yeah. know, and, and some of the, you know, the Marvel and DC, it's every month, you know, it's well, all the... It's, ironically enough, and I know it's not the, the fashion these days, but most of my work has been monthly yeah. in, the, in this business. So I was... Uh, I talked to George Perez once about that, and... <laughs> about doing monthly because it did seem like everybody wants to just do a special or everybody wants to do a cover or right. nobody wants to do the meat of the meat and potatoes of the comic book industry. And in this business, I've always been that. I like the interiors. That's what I read. That's what I want to do. It's the same for the most part. Yeah, I've been doing, if not a monthly book, then close to monthly. Or if it's been a mini series, it would come out every month and I was on that schedule just maybe a three months prior to yeah. its debut. So I've always, in theory, been a, a monthly artist. I guess what kind of jumped out to me was the Wildstorm stuff that you had done, the uh, the American Way. Uh, uh, yeah, oh yeah, and, and I know that goes back a little bit, and, I, and, and that was uh, uh, that was a limited series or a mini series, yeah. but yeah. you know, I, I, I don't know if um, you know folks are that familiar with it because it, it came a little earlier in your career. Yeah, you all about that a little bit? It came in around two, 2006, so I guess around the middle or so of my career. Okay. Um, funny enough, I was doing The Majestic before that, which was also a Wildstorm. Okay, yeah. yeah. And I think that's what led me to the association with the people at Wildstorm, and then later down the line, when the American Way became available, they were like, hey, didn't we know somebody? You know, that's a one for us. It, at John Ridley, the writer, and the you know, big guy, yes. writer, director, and, and the uh, Hollywood, I uh, had seen some of my work and said, yeah, I really like this guy. Let's, let's definitely go with that. So I've been very fortunate in my career because, ironically enough, it was the American way that Joss Whedon was reading when he thought to himself, hey, I want to do Buffy again. Really? And when it came down to picking an artist, they said, I don't know who this guy is, but I really love this series. <laughs> I think he would be really good for Buffy. So my career has been a bunch of that, this leading to this, leading to that. So I've stayed consistent, and that's why I feel more that I've been a monthly artist, because that consistency has just been hopping from title to title, regardless of the uh, company itself. Yeah. 
I've been dressed your thinner. It's yeah. the best yet. You're just doing yeah, it. Yeah, here, totally, almost 30 years later, and I'm still working. <laughs> wow. So with that, with that, with that work, that cadence of work, is that something where we hear sometimes where um, you, again, just other people are outside of maybe that title that you're working on at the time are reaching out to you saying, hey, do you have the availability to work on this project? And there's others that are like, I'm always sending out, again, some of my work to other folks and maybe other publishers to see if they want to, you know, bring me on board. I mean, how has that experience been for you? Well, this is the, and as I'm sure you guys know, this business is such a small pond in the game of publishing. It really is very small. Even today, whereas we have so much visibility and popularity with the movies and all that, it is still very much a very small pond. And I think in that, you, you know people, you get to know people. And uh, I've known artists who say they have representatives. And I always thought, wow, that's really cool. Somebody who reps you, they will go find the work for you and all you have to do is sit and draw, and that's that's great. But then the flip side of that has always been, you don't get to foster the relationships with the editors. And still to this day, that's how you get work, um, is, is talking to editors and them knowing who you are and them knowing what you're capable of. And I always thought, guy, with a rep, they know the rep and they're probably buddies with them, but they don't know who you are. So when it comes down to them, having to choose a title, it may be you or it may be that guy. Like, hey, I was really sitting with so-and-so and we had a drink and God, the guy's reliable and he's all this. And I've always been to go with the guy I know, personal. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I think to piggyback off that, it's, it's I think harder in today's era because of all the digital force that's out there. It's almost like an email versus a handwritten letter. Yeah. You get very, uh, you step back with a handwritten letter because they don't do that anymore. So to your point, instead of all these reps and all these face-to-face -face people right. representing you being the artist and the talent going out there yourself yeah. and having that those relationships, yeah. that's got to be freshening, uh, a fresh... Yeah, and legitimately, it's a different playing field. I, I don't pretend to begrudge anybody who has it in this day and age how they're going about getting comic books, but back... And I, I guess once you get old enough, you get the opportunity to say, back in the day, the body was <laughs> It was very different. It, you were. I was listening to you talking to Dan Pinozzi, and, and you did. You had to go to the con and see the editors, and they had to look at your portfolio, and you had to keep it consistent. And they were always telling you, you know, do at least five pages every six months and see how well your work has progressed from there. And that was the tools of this particular trade, if you wanted to go in the comics, that you had to adhere to. And... Yeah, nowadays, if if you've got your own little website and you can upload an image every day and it, it gets 100,000 followers, they'll probably contact you saying, hey, we'd love to you to do Spider-Man because we want your followers to come and buy our content. Yeah, I'm going to jump back a little bit. So, you know, we were talk we've been talking about the consistency of your, of your careers, like mm -hmm. the monthlies and all that. What was the first step? What was your first foray into, into college that then kind of kicked off? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my, my faux pas, which <laughs> I, was, I was breaking into this, and I always say that because I was breaking into this business in the 90s, around 94, right, right around the time that image exploded. And, uh, there's the whole image boom, and there's the whole chromium covers, and there's all <laughs> that stuff going on. And, of course, you, you see collectively what the style of image was. And regardless of whether or not you like it or 
you you didn't. That's what was selling comics at the time. My stuff looked nothing like image. I thought more and more. I was working at a comic shop at the time and looking at these books coming in every Wednesday going, I am never going to work in comics because <laughs> my stuff does, doesn't look like this. I thought the best I could do, because at the time DC was doing... Um, their Vertigo title. Oh, and I thought the best I could ever do was just maybe do a, a Vertigo book and, and leave it at that because I'll just never get a Spider-Man or an X-Men <laughs> or, or anything like that because my stuff, because of course, once those, the, those guys left, they replaced them with people who pretty much looked like Image. And that was, that was the, the whole push for the, I guess, right up until the 2000s that people wanted to see. And man, I was sweating. <laughs> at that time because and, and it wasn't that I didn't like it I, I did like some of it but again I was more about the meat and potatoes of this and it just seemed to me that for the most part and please send your letters to fans <laughs> I just thought all of that stuff was so superficial I mean here you had this a team book and everything was trying to be the X-Men in the heyday of Byrne and Claremont but all it was and it's funny I, I talked to Michael Golden about this all it was was a bunch of pinups, bunch of pinups where they put captions and word balloons to try and create a story as they would go along. But everybody was angry. Everybody wanted to fight. Every everything. Everybody was the witcher. Which again, as an artist, I'm like, I can't do this. This is what comic books are. Yeah. I'm probably not going to do comic books for a living. Yeah. You just like summed up. Not, never have in Hollywood. You really. Uh, no, back then. no, because I love comics. I still read comics. And again, I had a car. I was working at a comic shop, so I was seeing all of it. And me and my friend at the time, we were getting in a lot of British books. And this was before Watchmen had come out and all that. And we were seeing the artists and how they were doing stuff over there. And we thought, God, these guys have really got it. But their sales were low. You know, there, there wasn't anything like what DC and Marvel was doing at the time. Yeah, so we were very culture shocked because we had to adhere to a norm, but we really thought, man, this is what people should be looking at. You know, this this is the, the work of Dave Gibbons and, and you know, um, Dylan, Steve Dylan, and all of these other guys who were novices at the time, at least in the United States, they were working in the UK. But here, of course, they went on to become superstars. Then. So then what was that turning point? Because you talk about you didn't like kind of what was the general theme that was happening. So at what point did you say, you know what, I'm, I'm putting my toe in the water, but I'm going to give this a shot? Uh, I, I guess consistency is, is what it was. Again, I was working at a shop, so we would every now and again do a comic con, you know, when you just say, hey, we have too much inventory. Let's do a con and get rid of it all. So he would go there, and I'd just walk around and see what people were doing. And I'm, I'm, I think I find myself very fortunate to have started in the smaller companies because and a, a lot of people are like, oh, well, don't you feel bad that you didn't get, like, an X-Men issue your first time out, and you could have been, like, this new superstar, breakout star. And I'm like, no, because the first thing I ever did, I thought looked awful. So the first thing I ever did has a published run of maybe 2,000. Whereas a X Men book, you know, had over a hundred thousand copies, I'm going. No, I don't ever want to see this. I don't want to be here in another twenty five years. I don't want people bringing up this title to me. And I've been pretty fortunate, but every every once in a while, I started, like I said, at the Caliber Comics, and it was they were trying to dip their toe into the arena and do superheroes because Caliber was basically uh, 
they were adapting novels and they, they just weren't doing any superhero stuff essentially. And they started to do that. And I did something called Paradigm, which, I mean, a silly little book. Uh, I was friendly with the writer, creator, and he was, he had this whole superhero line he wanted to immerse and he convinced Caliber to publish it. And thankfully it only went one issue. So, Nobody comes up to your table the side of Nanny every four years. That one, the one, and Caliber was based in Michigan, so I try to stay away from. Have you ever been Michigan shadows? <laughs> Not no, and they're like, oh my god, I heard box of them in DJ. That's hilarious. Nah, well, even we're going back to your, you know, when you started. Um, you know, were you a comic fan when you were uh, a young child? Is oh, oh, so yeah. Tell me just a little bit about that, like the early years, when what got you interested and what got you to say to yourself at an early age, I want to do comic book art and what that looked like. Well, I think like with most of us here, and you all seem to be of that age, I thought I couldn't understand why John Byrne couldn't draw every Marvel comic that had come out. Right. Because I just loved everything that he had done. <laughs> yeah. Everything. I was never... In high school, I'd never got into the X-Men so much. But as soon as he jumped on the Fantastic Four, that was my title. I was like, oh, my God, who is this guy? And, and you know, what can I do to, to be part of it? <laughs> um, I was just loving it. And I think I was, and quite thankfully, I was part of a renaissance in comics because in high school, I was in high school in the early 80s, and that's when Frank Miller was doing Daredevil, and that's when George Perez and Mark Wolfman were doing Tuttons, and Walt Simonson was doing Thor, and um, all of these, the Fantastic Four by John Byrne, all of these amazing titles were just coming out. You know, there was no big fanfare. There was no, hey, we're going to do this massive 12-issue miniseries or maxi-series, and it's going to be the reinvent comics. These were just regular titles that were coming out, and they were blowing me away. I literally, and this is, I guess, uh, shows my age, I literally would go home after school, and there was a, a pharmacy store, and they sold comics in a, in a rack, a spinning rack they had. And thankfully, I, I never understood how this guy kept his shop afloat because he had all of his magazines and comics haphazardly, but today I thought back, oh, God, I appreciate that he did that because he had maybe four or five issues of Daredevil that had I only brought the one, I don't know that I would have ever gone back and tried to find all of the earlier ones. And it was just such a saving grace for me that I could go to this place. And it wasn't even a comic shop. It was literally a pharmacy. Yeah. And just pick up all of these back issues of, of these books that just happened to be sitting there. There was no fanfare there was no hey you have to get this issue or anything like that you know which I, I think it was something that really didn't happen until the watchmen started to become popular um back in the day that that sort of thing really took took flight so you know i mean hell even uh what frank miller and mazzuccelli's batman year one was within his own series it wasn't a separate entity where hey you have to get this and it was a big deal I didn't even know how many issues it was because it was following concurrently the work of Batman Tunnel. You know what was so fantastic about Byrne and Miller at, in those times work? They created like a sense of motion in the panel. Mm -hmm. They were really good at that. Like it mm -hmm. felt like things were moving in the panel. You weren't looking, like you said, it wasn't just pen up, pen up, pen up word bubbles. It was like it. it flowed. It looked like action. You could almost picture it like a motion picture. Well, as an artist, nothing floored me in very much the same way than when they started to, um, Epic started to produce Akira. 
the oh. first time we Westerners were starving, were allowed to see that sort of manga. That to me was movement in comics. I was I was amazed that what I mean I later learned it wasn't just one guy. He had a whole studio. Or yeah, guy, sure. all that. Sure, but man, the storytelling on that book. Yeah. Well, even today I look at it and think this is amazing. This is this is why we should study manga, not so much the style or the the cutesy ness of it all. Which I, I get it, and it and it has its place. But as a serious contributor to the field of comics, I think that's where they, they gave us so much more than most people say. Yeah, absolutely. With the, um, so, and with the titles that you've been able to work on, because you've gotten, you know, like, uh, Buffy, obviously, Mandalorian, and, and some other uh, titles like that, which one of the, um, of those titles that are from a, uh, an IP has been your favorite, or was like a green project to well, get to work on? Funny enough, as I, you know, as you're growing up and you're you're a kid, you're like, oh my god, I would have loved to have done the Raiders of the Lost Ark comic adaptation. <laughs> yeah, the Star Trek Wrath of Khan comics adaptation. I you would have loved to have done that thing. And more and more, as my my um, I took off in the comic field, I never thought I was ever going to do any IPs whatsoever because it was at at that point too. Marvel was kind of lessening their hold on IPs, and they just weren't doing them anymore. And you know the idea of a movie adaption was no longer really a big thing that people wanted to see because they had so many things and the internet was becoming more popular. I thought, well, I guess that's it. I'm never going to do a, a, an adaption of an IP ever again. And then, and then, play it out, <laughs> Buffy comes around. Um, and like I was saying earlier to the gentleman who was here, I had been doing this one book for Wildstorm, and it, it's funny how you one job will lead to another. So never, never put down anything you're doing because you never know who's watching it at the time. And the book I was doing was called The American Way, which was a, a fictionalized um, book on superheroes in the '60s that John F. Kennedy actually sanctioned. Basically, a team like the Avengers in the '60s, and uh, Joss Whedon apparently was reading that book and. At that time, apparently, he was like, hey, Buffy had been off the air for a few years. Hey, I'm feeling a little nostalgic. I want to do more Buffy. And it's those two things collided together that allowed me to come into that world. And very much the same way I did uh, Firefly uh, for Dross as well. And that was more about, hey, I know you've been on Buffy for a while. Would you mind coming over and doing some Firefly? And, you know, these questions where people are like, oh, my God, I wish somebody would ask me yeah. that. Uh, they were just coming my way more and more. And even with the uh, the Mandalorian, I, I was, this was around COVID, when COVID started to hit and everybody was starting at COVID, you know, there was just no work. It wasn't that you didn't have work. It just was that work wasn't being produced. The paper companies weren't making paper. The, the companies weren't going into the offices. So it wasn't that you didn't have a job. There just wasn't a job to have, essentially. Yeah. And especially the comics and... I've got this one mini-series of an X-Men book called The Extinction. Um, and it was supposed to be this alternate universe where all the bad X-Men were now good X-Men. And in this universe, they were the peacekeepers and, and all that kind of a silly concept. And they discounted it almost as soon as the series wrapped up. But from there, the assistant editor was one of the editors to Star Wars. One of the assistant editors of Star Wars said, hey, we need some uh, fill-ins to the High Republic which was a Star Wars book they were doing. Would you mind coming over? And of course, 
you know, you never want to seem like you're desperate. <laughs> so you're kind of like, well, I'll check my steps and we'll see what's going on. But of course, in your head, you're going, oh my God, tell me when I can start to whatever I'm dying. <laughs> and from there, the, the Mandalorian, I was told, I don't know how, you know how stories get around, but I was told somebody already had the Mandalorian and they had to back out. And my editor, my assistant editor, was also the editor on Star Wars High Republic. So he says, hey, I have this book. Are you interested? It's eight issues. We don't know really what's going to happen with it. Uh, would you be interested in doing it? And I thought, oh, my God, yeah, I, I just watched that show. I love the band. They love that. Sure. So things like that happen all the time, and I guess that serendipity in my career, for sure, has always been the case. And I've I've never questioned it. <laughs> don't look that and don't look that good. That gift horse in the mouth. Right? I don't know. <laughs> so speaking of kind of you don't want to seem desperate to, you know, and put yourself in that, sorry, that position, but are there projects that you've seen that you just knew you would be like an ultimate this for or maybe something that you want to do uh, but just haven't had that opportunity? I, I have been very fortunate to be counseled by wise men and also to listen to their counsel. Uh, around that time in Buffy, this was 2007 when Joss had gotten the script. Uh, Dark Horse had already been publishing Buffy for years. They had been doing it concurrently with the uh, TV show, which went off the air in 2004. So they, already, they already had books, but technically they would never can't. And it wasn't until, and funny enough, Joss had never written an issue before. It wasn't until Joss came on that they started to become canon. Um, from there, I was approached by um, uh, Dark Horse asking me what I like to draw Buffy. And at that time, I'd never even seen an episode. I was aware of Buffy in, mm -hmm. in pop culture, but I was never influenced by Buffy. I never watched it. And so I was kind of like, you know, it's not, it's not superhero. I think that's the first thing we say to ourselves. But that's not a superhero. I want a superhero. Does she have a shield? Exactly. But at that time, DC was offering me Flash. Mark Waite was going to reintroduce Flash into the, uh, into, I, it, this wasn't, wasn't 52 yet or anything like that. They were just sort of reintroducing the Flash. And I thought, that's what I want to do. That's a superhero. Come on. And, um, uh, Scott Alley, who was the editor over at Dark Horse at the time, who had edited all of the Buffy and you've got Hellboy, a bunch of other books. He, he really, again, wise sage and gave me counsel that I was even wiser to listen to. He told me, look, everybody has done The Flash at some point. Bunches of artists over its, whatever, 50, 60 year history have done The Flash. You will never be known as the artist of The Flash. He do Buffy you're going to be known as the artist for Buffy from here on. And of course, I don't have that, that knowledge that he has of, of knowing any of this. I just take his word mm -hmm. and something, you know, it's one of those things, something into it said, you know what, you're right. Let me, let me do this. Because Dark Horse wasn't even sure. It quickly became the number one selling book. Dark Horse had never even done royalties before because they just didn't sell that many books. And Buffy was giving out royalties in spades. Um, and it was one of those things that I am so glad I missed. <laughs> well, and that, and that ended up, you know, I, I, maybe you were going to bring it up, but I mean, that ended up in the Eisner Award for it. And then it ended up, but yeah, we won an Eisner for our best title. So now you're at it. I'll do that. I told to celebrate. <laughs> he, oh, believe me. I, I think I gave him the life for the flash. He asked for a, a cover or something. And he's like, how much you want for the cop work? I'm like, you know what, Gary? You just take that. <laughs> 
I know that they owe you a lot. So we're just working on the ice in the ring. Without knowing about it, I'll see I can charge it for it. But that's the beauty is I know a lot of stories about other people. Well, um, Georges, uh, uh, before we do wrap up, though, uh, where could people go and find more about your work, keep up with all the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, sure. I, uh, I have a website. It's called Kaba Lounge, K-A-B-A-L-O-U-N-G-E dot com. And that's where all of my artwork and social media stuff is usually. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and all of that good stuff. So I'm, I'm very accessible is what I try to tell people. And if you ever want to get a hold of me, it, it doesn't take more than 48 hours for me to get back to you. There you go. And uh, just for our viewers and listeners, we'll have uh, all the links in the show notes so you can go and, and see what his latest projects are and, and uh, get your hands on some of these things. Um, like uh, he has links to the caliber comments. To, do I? No. I don't. <laughs> Something that I should be talking to my guy. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm actually very proud of it, but yeah. one of those things. You look at it, and you're like, Ooh, no, 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 I'm so much better than yes. Everybody had to get their start. Everybody had to get their start. I don't begrudge it. I mean, I, I have you seen, like, uh, Alex Ross out of showing, like, his drawings at, like, nine years old and what he does now in your life? I've, you know, I've working, and you were, I was working at this. I think it's one of his first things with Terminator. He did yeah. Terminator for, uh, I can't remember the company, but we were looking at this guy going, you know, this guy's got some chops here. He's going somewhere. Yeah. And how he does it, but Lou, thanks for being here today. You're very well. I appreciate it. Fantastic uh, uh, guest. I mean, great stories. Um, you know, we really appreciate your work. Appreciate you being our thank you. Thanks so much, Amos. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Um, make sure to hit that like, subscribe, and notification bell so we can keep bringing you content like this. And we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>